Quick announcement, everybody. I have a survey that I would love if all of you could fill out for me. Here's what it's all about. I know, not another survey, right? Here's, here's the deal. Over the last four years, I have interviewed so many different people and talked about so many different topics. I'm at the point now where there's times where I don't really have a clear idea what you guys want and what you need. Because what we've talked about and the people I've had on have the, the whole structure of the show has changed. Not by not because I really had that intention, but since I started to now, things have just evolved. And I've evolved. I've grown. So what I used to value, I don't value as much anymore. I value different things now. And that's why I think it's it's actually really good that we're having today's guest on, Jake Kaufman, because that's kind of what he talks about. But um that being said, I need you guys' help because one of the things that I haven't done that well is really find out what it is first you guys need and what it is you're, you, you're struggling with so that I can find the best of the best in that area. But also, like sometimes I don't even know who my ideal listener is. I know it's crazy, right? Of course, I have an idea, but I'm just curious because I have so many awesome people and you know, that listen to the show, but everybody's in different stages. So I'm curious as to like what that looks like right now with all of you guys and where we're at. And if we need to change, if we need to pivot, if I don't know, that's why I want to ask you guys. So I think it's time to create a survey. So I have a survey for you guys to fill out. It's free. It'll really, really be appreciated. And the two things that are covered on there is number one, the content, who listens to the show, you know, real basic stuff. But then also there's going to be a section around community. This is the second thing that I haven't done the best job with is taking all of you and building community around this show. It's always been my intention but it's something that I haven't done the best of. So my job moving forward is to really figure out not only what you guys want, find the best people, but also bring us all together. My goal is to create events, create masterminds, to create you know, membership site, have different levels and different experiences for people, right? And it all starts with kind of finding out, would you guys be interested in it? So it's a quick survey. It'll take you two, maybe three minutes. And if you fill it out, I'll be really, really appreciated. I don't like to ask you guys for these kind of things too often. I like to just give as much as I can without asking, but I really need your help on this. And if you could help me out, fill this out, it would take you two minutes. I'd be greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy this episode with Jake Kaufman. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Today's guest, we have a returning guest coming back on. His name is Jake Kaufman. I had him on the show not too long ago, but I wanted to bring him back because he is a badass. 
and he's got a powerful story. The last story we talked about, we talked about an accident that he was in that changed the tra- the trajectory of his life, but we didn't get into the story that started it all, that got him into the transformational work. That is all in his new book, Let Love In. Now, he goes deep with his story of sexual abuse and it's it's such a it's such a powerful topic because i know that it can like trigger people and i know that it can be difficult for people to talk about this stuff especially around any sort of sexual trauma so that's why i think it's important not only that he wrote this book for people struggling but that we can have this conversation on the podcast because i think it needs to be talked about more and we don't talk about it enough. So I really enjoyed this. Jake is a spiritual guide and life coach, and he helps men heal so that they can thrive in all areas of their life. His Instagram is I am Jake Kaufman at I A M J A K E K A U F F M A N. He has a lot of value. He's a very intelligent dude. And if you want, Go listen to the other one, then come back and listen to this one or listen to this one, listen to that one. They're both really good, but I want you guys to go grab his book after listening to this because I think it could really help you if you are struggling with this. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Jake Kaufman. Jake, welcome back to the show, brother. Round two, here we go. Lance, thanks so much for having me back, man. I'm excited to be here. Yes, me too, man. Last time I was talking to you when I was in Colombia and we dove into an accident that you had and you just shared so much wisdom and experience with us that was really awesome. I really enjoyed the conversation. And what we didn't get into is kind of the story before that. And I know that a lot of your journey... (laughs) has come from that. And now you got a brand new book, let love in the pain stops when the truth starts. Powerful title, great cover. For those of you that are listening, he's got his face on the cover. It's like, there's, it's a really powerful feeling you get when you look at it, which is like, for me, when I look at a cover, you you know, you, it's, you want to connect with it. And it's like your eyes and the way it looks, it's, it's powerful stuff. So I'm excited to read it. Haven't had a chance at this point yet, but I look forward to reading it and sharing it. So dude, welcome. And uh, I'm excited to dive in. Thanks, man. I'm excited to dive in with you from one book author to another. I know that you know the, the journey of publishing your first book full well, and it's been quite the experience. Yeah. So let's, let's talk before we dive into the, the meat of the book. How long have you wanted to write this thing and why was it important to you? How did that come together? Walk us through that a bit. Man. So it's funny. I did not intend to release this book. I think it was Dickens who once said that your calling is your curse. It's the thing that you can't not do. For me, this all started back when I was around 27 or 28 and 
I started coming up against blocks. I was very much sabotaging my success. At that point in my life, I had been fired from every job I had ever had. I found myself pushing away love and intimacy, distancing myself from friends and family, only being able to go to a certain depth or degree in, in relationship. Mm. And I didn't know why that was. I didn't really have any answers. So I started going to therapy and, and this is all actually detailed in the book, you know, a month or so in, I start talking to my therapist and I was like, I think I have a fear of intimacy. He's like, well, why do you think that is? And I'm like, I'm not sure. And he starts going back into my past and he's like, well, do you think you can recall an instance or a memory where something painful happened? And I don't know about you, but I grew up middle-class, but never really wanting for much. You know, my family was all things considered somewhat well off mom and dad still together to this day, going on 40 years of marriage, three siblings. So uh, on the outside looking in, I had a really good childhood. And in many ways I, I absolutely did, but I had some painful things happen to me just like anyone else. And so I started kind of going through those with him. And there was this one experience where he was like, wait, 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 go back. What happened? And I'll never forget it, like the look on his face when I started replaying the incident and going into more detail. And he was like, have you ever thought about like what that was or like what that experience was, what it meant? And that's when it hit me. And I was just like, oh, wow, that was that was sexual abuse. So all of a sudden I touched on this thing, this incident, this experience that I had gone through when I was 12 or 13, 15 years later. And Lance, I'll be honest with you, I ran from it. And I was like, oh, there it is. I, I don't really want to go there. Right. Thanks, but no thanks. And I ran from it for a couple of a couple of years, to be honest with you. But it's ultimately what had me go down the road of personal development. Fast forward a few years later, I felt in a really good place. I had worked through the incident in therapy, had gone through several different coaching programs, personal development workshops, and I felt called to share the experience because I had spent years suppressing this event, hadn't told anyone, none, no one in my family knew what had happened or how it affected me. And I was like, I can't be the only person that's gone through something like this that doesn't feel safe to share. Like there has to be a lot of other people. And at this point in time, I had started a coaching business. And as you can imagine, a lot of things like this came up in my coaching conversations with clients. And a lot of them I found were in a similar position to me. Something painful or traumatic had happened and they had never told anybody. So I share this experience on social media thinking that I'm in a really good place to be able to offer some perspective around what happened to me, how it impacted and affected me, the beliefs that I made up about myself as a result, and how that had me push away love, intimacy, sabotage my success, and my nervous system collapsed. I suffered clinically from what is referred to as a nervous and an acute nervous system breakdown. Basically, the input that sharing my post created on social media, because of course I started to get 
a ton of responses and comments on the post, people reaching out to me in the DMs, text messages was too much. It overwhelmed my system and I basically had a panic attack on steroids. In meeting with my therapist, she was like, I really think it'd help you to journal about what's coming up for you around this experience to help you process, to help you work through the pain. And so I did. And about 30,000 words later, I was like, I think this could be a book. And four years later, here we are. Oh, man. Okay. So I want to go back to what you were saying about you were going through therapy. And yep. you started to talk about things. And then the therapist started to put the pieces together. Like, hey, let's go back. What? What were you saying? to the therapist that yep. got that going so that the therapist was like, wait a second. And what mm -hmm. was showing up for you? Like, did you remember it or is it just like pieces that were like showing up as evidence? Tell sure. because there's people that I feel like have gone through this, but they don't know. And then they realize it through mm -hmm. what's going on in their life through, you know, who they're attracting and, you know, intimacy, totally. issues, right. Or there's, you know, some people that have known their whole life. So what mm -hmm. did that look like for you when you're explaining it to the therapist? Yeah. Great question. So as it relates to the specific experience, I just started detailing the events. You know, I was at Christian summer camp. I was sleeping and basically had an older camper, a high schooler. I was in middle school, basically climb into bed with me and sexually assault me in front of all of my friends that I grew up with. So I'm the only one sleeping. They're all awake. He climbs into my bed and basically takes it way too far. I wake up and I'm like, what just happened? Everyone's laughing. And then someone tells me what happens. And of course I'm humiliated, hmm. right? I am absolutely humiliated, embarrassed, I'm experiencing tons of shame in that moment. And I want nothing more than to, to run away from that moment. Ultimately, you know, I think Gabor Mate does a really good job of explaining this. If you're familiar with the oh, psychotherapist, yeah. you know, he says that trauma is much less about what actually happened to us and the incident and much more how we internalized it. Mm. And, and the stories that we made up about ourselves, what we made it mean, and how that impacts us in terms of like our identity, our belief system. And in many ways, the story that I created was that it's not safe to be myself. Mm -hmm. And so what I did after that incident, unconsciously, unknowingly, was I started to wear a series of different masks, right? I took on different personas in an attempt to be loved, accepted, successful. So I was projecting this image as if I was fine. As a result, I needed to become the best at everything. So I became a star athlete in high school, really good student, excelled in academics. Every part of my life, I unconsciously yet intentionally curated so that on the outside looking in, you would be like, Jake's got it all together. You know, he's successful, social, sociable, et cetera, et cetera. And that just continued to follow me around, as you can imagine, through college, 
eventually as I graduated on into business, I needed to excel. I needed to achieve. I was constantly chasing success, but all of that was an adaptation and an overcompensation to avoid dealing with this very significant pain that stemmed from the abuse and the incident. So when I was in you know, session with my therapist, I was just describing the incident to him that in many ways I had dissociated from. I kind of treated it as a joke like everybody else, despite the fact that it had gone way too far and was incredibly inappropriate. And that was when he was like, have you thought about how that experience impacted you? And I was like, no. And it like the light bulb turned on when all of a sudden I saw it in somebody else's face. You know how kids, when they fall down, they oftentimes look to the adult to be like, how should I respond? You know, and if the parent goes, oh, the kid starts crying. But if the parent's like, you're fine, the kid like is fine. They're mirroring the the adult in that moment, right? And their reaction based on how their nervous system shows up to the situation. So when all of a sudden I was being mirrored appropriately, because he, I could tell he was disturbed. He was disgusted by what I was telling him based on what happened. And that's when it hit. That's when it clicked. And all of a sudden, I was no longer dissociating. I was accepting what that incident was. And that's when I was forced to confront the pain that I had spent years trying to avoid. Would you say that you got just kind of used to it? Like, that's just how it is that seems normal to me. And then when somebody identified it, it's like, wait, that's not normal. A hundred percent. Yep. I treated it as a joke, kind of like everybody else. Right. Right. Part of it was to, of course, avoid the humiliation, the shame that came up for me in that moment, the frustration of like, y'all are my friends. Why didn't any of you try to stop this from happening? And so Treating it as a joke was part of how I was able to not have to feel those emotions. Mm. And so a lot of it just became unconscious, like I mentioned, just this unconscious reaction to pain, which is in many ways true for all of us. I think we actually talked about this on our last episode where when we're young kids, unconsciously, the most important question is who do I need to be? What do I need to do? And how do I need to be perceived in order to be loved and accepted by mom and dad, admired by my peers, and later on into adulthood, successful? Mm. That question, however, by virtue is in response to pain. Because what is, what's the opposite of being loved and accepted by mom and dad? It's to be rejected. What's the opposite of not being admired by your peers, it's to be cast out. What's the opposite of being successful as an adult? It's to be a failure. So we start to take on these personas, which is just Latin for the word mask. We start to wear these masks and we start to unconsciously develop these adaptive strategies in an attempt to avoid pain. A lot of these 
personality traits or characteristics, some of them are genuine. A lot of them are not. Like I mentioned, a lot of them are in response or in reaction to pain or the perception of pain. So we continue to carry around these masks with us and we continue to wear them, even if they're not effective, which I think is why they say, you know, better the devil, you know, than the devil, you don't. And that's simply what I fell into, which I think is a natural part of our psychological development as, as people, as humans, is to adopt what Carl Jung refers to as the false self or this admired identity that causes us to ultimately reject these less than ideal qualities about ourself. Right? And how do we do that? We sweep them under the rug and that's what is known as our shadow. Right. So we prop up, we emphasize these ideal qualities about ourselves, and we unconsciously seek to just continue to reinforce, reinforce those qualities and those characteristics. But the less than ideal qualities and characteristics, we just push away and we shove into our shadow. But the longer they stay there, the more we have to mask, the more we have to avoid, and the more we have to turn to coping mechanisms in an effort to avoid them and the anxiety and the stress that they produce because we haven't fully reconciled the pain from the past. And so what do we inevitably end up doing? We recycle it in the present moment. And this is what dictates the course of our lives. Yeah. The shame that goes around that comes with that. Anything to do with like sexual abuse. It's, you know, it's such a heavy feeling shame like totally. and you were you did nothing wrong like mm -mm. and that feeling that you were carrying around that because essentially you you would have thought you did something wrong right like in in a way subconsciously mm -hmm. because you're feeling that shame like or mm -hmm. or was it like like what did that shame feel like to you like you know, I mean, I have different levels of it, but I mean, you probably yeah. knew that you didn't, but like there was this also, even though you know that you didn't, it wasn't your fault, but you still are going to feel this weirdness, like no matter what. I don't know. Right. Totally. Absolutely. I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I ever felt like it was my fault, but I certainly asked myself, did I do something to deserve this? Mm. And so maybe in some way that's that's to ask, is this my fault? But like I mentioned, I turned my coping strategy was was to perform and how yes. I performed, right, performance. And what I did was I turned to achievement and right. accolades and my image, my status, my reputation, which is a very typical response adaptive strategy in response to pain to try to run away from it or avoid it that had me very unconscious to what I was doing, right? I was just performing my way around the pain. And it wasn't until I was forced to acknowledge the event for what it was that I had to deal with the emotions around it. Mm. Now you mentioned intimacy 
issues from that mm. that came up. What did that look like? Walk us through that a bit. Like, how did that show up? What did that feel like? If somebody maybe is mm-hmm. going through that, but they don't really know they're going through that. Like, what is that? What did that feel like for you? So I think it looks different for different people, but for me specifically, I could get to a certain point in romantic relationship, like a certain point of depth. And I, what I didn't feel safe to go any further Hmm. because on some level going further fundamentally felt very unsafe to me. My nervous system treated it like a threat. And so I needed to sabotage in that moment, which is just another way to say I needed to self-protect right? Because self-sabotage is just self-protection. I needed to sabotage in that moment in an attempt to remove myself from pain or the threat of pain. In this case, getting hurt, getting rejected. So I would oftentimes, at least in the context of romantic relationship, I would reject the other person before they had the chance to reject me. Mm. So I would get to this, I would get to this certain point of depth depth of intimacy in the relationship before I was like, no, this is, this is too much for me. Yeah. And I can resonate with that so much. I've done that many times. A lot of us have. And so my answer to that was simply to just to run. And I would come up with some conscious justification, some egoic rationalization to justify why I was leaving the relationship or running away or why it wasn't a right fit to get out of it, right? To self-protect because of course you need some sort of rationalization or justification in order to do so. So I just kept running Mm. and it wasn't until I realized what I was doing, I became conscious of the underlying motivation, the unconscious internal motivation beneath my external behavior that I was able to start reconciling these things and actually do something about that behavior. Because of course, if I continue down that road, I'm never going to, how am I ever going to have a successful long lasting relationship? I'm going to continue to arrive right back here, which is getting to a certain point in relationship or even with my success and sabotaging it because on some level, anything beyond that feels like a threat to my nervous system. Right. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I wanted to kind of go deeper into why do you think just for people that may not understand as much about why the abuse would affect later on your relationship or your intimacy, but so can you, can you, we just go a little bit deeper with that? Because yeah, like, why do you think that is? Can we break that down? Like, okay, you were abused and then you were later on intimacy, but like, why was that an issue? Like, was it because, was it because you felt like you lost control in that situation so then when you're in a relationship, that that feeling of like losing control is showing up. I'm just trying to like piece together like what 
what the connections were specifically on how you felt, you know, yeah. because, right. Cause there was something that was triggering something in the intimacy, right. That was like, Oh shit. Now I can put those two together. Like how, what was the specific thing that you would feel that you're like, Oh, wait a minute. That's probably connected. Sure. Does that make sense? That question I'm trying yeah, to like, totally. I'm like, is this making sense? Cause I'm like trying to think about it in my own brain and I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, and how I would, connect the dots together totally yep so and, and this is we can obviously talk about my specific experience but you know this is very common like i mentioned for all of us totally in, in terms of how we respond to pain or to trauma which is you have a, a situation an incident a painful experience happen that we then need to we need to make meaning of it so of course, what do we do? We end up creating beliefs about it, about ourselves, about other people, about the world in an attempt to self-protect so that that doesn't happen again. Most of this is, is unconscious, like I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. My way of self-protecting was I am going to intricately and intentionally craft this image, this persona that is successful, that is good at everything. I'm fine. I've got it all together. So that from the outside looking in, people would be like, dude, Jake's like got everything going on, got everything going for him. Like, and that was by, that was by way of how I self-protected from getting hurt again, from getting rejected. Right. On some level, it didn't feel safe to be myself. And so I, I took okay. on a persona. I took gotcha. on a mask so that I wouldn't get rejected. And so really it developed this incredible fear of vulnerability. Right. Which, gotcha. which is the literal meaning of the word vulnerability is a willingness to be wounded. And so because I had experienced immense pain, immense reject, rejection, I needed to protect in an effort for so that that never happened again. Hmm. And so what I ended up doing was developing this incredible fear of vulnerability. So I would get to a certain depth in relationship, like I mentioned, but I would be terrified to go any deeper to truly be seen, to fully be, see, be seen in my authenticity as my tr true self. And so I needed to run away from that because it, it sparked this incident all over again. Right. It in, not just in my, not just in my unconscious mind or my egoic mind, which serves the role to protect us, but also in my body and my nervous system, similarly to how you would feel if you get to the edge of a cliff, you've been to Mexico, right? the cenotes in Tulum, and right? there are these huge holes in the ground in the earth and you can jump into them, right? And there's water at the bottom. Yeah. And a lot of these are like 30, 40 feet. Well, most people, when they approach the edge of, of the cenote and they entertain jumping in, your body naturally and inherently is going to feel anxiety, butterflies, nervousness, trepidation in that moment 
because you're looking down and you're like, oh, it's a big jump. And how you feel in your body in that moment is just your body trying to protect you. It's your nervous system saying, hey, we are close to harm in this moment or what we perceive to be harm in this moment. And so we're going to make you feel anxious, trepidation, fear in an attempt to remove you from this perceived threat or danger. The same thing would happen to me when it came to relationships, whether it whether it was with friends or family or romantic partners, I would allow you to see what I was comfortable with, mm. right? But the other parts of myself, the more vulnerable, tender parts about myself, my insecurities, painful experiences that I've gone through, mistakes that I've made that I regret, which of course, all of us have those. I felt terrified to share those parts of myself because the story that I made up was if I allow you to see this part of me, I'm going to, you're going to reject me. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Right. I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to like acceptance is not going to increase in that moment. It's going to decrease in that moment. Hmm. And so in my body, I would feel anxious. I would feel nervous, fear, trepidation. So my nervous system was just trying to pull me away from a perceived threat, from perceived danger in that moment. So I would allow you to see me, but I would only allow you to see certain parts of me. Mm. I was fundamentally holding people at arm's length. And that just doesn't work. Especially when it comes to close-knit relationships with friends, with family, especially in a romantic partnership. How have you improved over the years, like with being comfortable, being vulnerable with your story, like from the first time you shared it, like now in the book, is that still challenging? Like, I mean, I'm sure you're feeling a whole bunch of emotions when, when your book is out there. It's like, oh shit. Okay. Well, here we go. It's weird. Yeah. It's a weird thing because yeah. you get people messaging you and they're like, oh my God, I cried and this and that. And you're like, it's a really crazy thing but then you know that you're out there and you're sharing it it's one thing to share it on a podcast but it's one thing to like be out there so how has that feeling for you changed and like how liberating has it been for you it has so far it's been fairly easy because obviously what the book about what the book is about i shared over four years ago right but i think it's important to understand that we all have a threshold of what we feel safe to receive in terms of intimacy, connection, financial abundance, opportunity, anything beyond that threshold is going to inherently on some level, somatically, soma meaning body, it's going to feel like a threat. Mm. So we all have a threshold in terms of what we feel safe to receive, how we increase somatic resiliency or what is referred to as our window of tolerance is by increasingly doing what? Increasingly stepping outside of our comfort zone, stretching our capacity in terms of going deeper into intimacy and connection, going deeper into fluency around a certain topic or a certain thing, say like with finances. And we see this happen all the time with lottery winners they receive an abundance of finances that is far beyond anything that they've ever experienced in their life 
the results that they are experiencing go so far past the, their window of tolerance that what do I think over 75% of them end up doing within 18 months? They end up going broke. They end up going broke yeah. because that those results are so far beyond their window of tolerance that somatically in their body and their nervous system, it feels like a threat to them. And so what do they do? They sabotage in an effort to return back to safety or homeostasis. So they start spending frivolously. They start, you know, giving money to like their second cousin's brother. That's just them sabotaging or self-protecting in an effort to go back to what is normal and familiar. Mm. So we have to increasingly over time, if we want to expand whatever it is that we want to expand into, whether it's related to romantic relationship, whether it's related to career and finances, we have to progressively and consistently over time, it's just like working out any muscle. We have to continue to step outside of our comfort zone, right? And into our growth zone, which allows us to increase our window of tolerance so that we can over time take on more and more stress. Mm -hmm. So for me, I I'm fine, honestly, in this moment, Lance, because I started sharing my story years ago. I started sharing my story years ago and I didn't just do it once. I did it repeatedly because I felt convicted that my story was to serve a bigger purpose. It was to help other people and to support them on their healing journey to serve as inspiration or a roadmap or a blueprint. And so I wasn't content to just share it once in this attempt to like, look at me. I was like, no, I'm going to continue to share this story so that more people who have gone through abuse, who have never told anyone who don't feel, feel comfortable to share and who haven't fully healed from the pain of the past, they can heal it and work through it and stop recycling it and bringing it into the present moment. So I've worked through this in many ways within yeah. myself in terms of sharing it to now. Honestly, there's, there's no charge there. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost as if I'll be honest with you. I look at the cover of the book and I'm like, I don't even know who that is anymore. Mm. That is a boy who is wrecked with pain and who is hiding from the world, from other people who is terrified of intimacy and connection and vulnerability. But I also feel immense compassion for myself because I didn't know what to do with it, which is why I hadn't fully worked through it. Yeah, we're, what comes up for me is that a lot of people feel there's this old school mentality where it's like, if you share your story, you're vulnerable, you're weak. Right. Like we've all yeah. heard that, you know, and it's like certain people think you lose credibility or something like ridiculous like that. And I don't know about you, but for me nowadays mm -hmm. with the way the world is, man, if somebody's willing to share their truth, like I fucking trust them and I want to like, it doesn't matter. Like that's to me is like everything. Right. It's right. like, I don't care yep. about your facade. I don't care about yep. any of that shit. Like, tell me some, yep. tell me, tell me the, tell me the realness of you. Like, that's what what's I the care truth. About. Yeah. Because that is what, what's really the matters. truth. Yeah, exactly. And I think yep. your title's great. 
let love in because that's essentially what you're doing is by opening up and sharing you are allowing that right like it's give me the truth of who you are yeah and what you've been through what has shaped you what has molded you if you think about it that old school mentality that is just other people's performer persona coming to the coming to the surface because the innate assumption and you pointed it out yourself you spoke into it yourself is that if i share this part of my story what is going to what is that going to do to my credibility or my authority it's going to do what going to go down it's going to go down it's going (laughs) to hurt it right yeah as a as opposed to it's going to help it it's going to improve it because there are people like you who are desperate for authenticity who see who see through the veil of people's performer persona where all they do is prop up these ideal characteristics of who they are meanwhile rejecting the less than ideal parts Mm -hmm. which is it only tells you a part of the story you don't get the full person you don't get the authentic person that's why transformation that's why healing it's never about achieving some sort of ideal that is out there in the future. It's always a return home back to who we really are back to our true essence. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both agree a lot on the self-worth part of things and that some people are, most people in the world are chasing the next thing, right? Yeah instead of realizing that you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like yeah. it, the thing is going to well, give you that. The thing isn't going to give you the thing yeah. that you think it is. It's like there's and and I think most people and I know you've realized that from having a ton of success and realizing that that healing journey and no feeling that you're whole is like where the magic is, right? Is that's where the power is. It's like that wholeness. That's it. Cause then you feel like you need less. Correct. And then more comes. <laughs> yeah. If you're not enough without it, you're never going to be enough with it. Yeah. How many people do we see? And how many times do we need to hear this story of people chasing after accomplishment after accomplishment and going from one success to another to only feeling what unhappy and unfulfilled. Yeah. Unhappy and unfulfilled. Why? Because they're just performing their way around the pain. They has have simply turned to success as their coping mechanism of choice. Right. In an uncon in an unconscious attempt to reconcile the pain, which is why, and I know you have conversations with people like this all the time. I work with a lot of these people. It's this. There's this cruel irony that inevitably, the most unhappy, unfulfilled, dissatisfied clients that I have are simultaneously the most successful. That's so wild, man. So wild. It is and it isn't because they're constantly looking to something outside of themselves to fill this internal void. 
it never works that way. We're always on some level left feeling empty and wanting. Wanting the next level, wanting more. The next level only makes you want the next level, right? It's like this very cruel irony about it all. It's not good enough. That's not what I thought I'd feel. I want- like, 100%. <laughs> we're yeah, chasing that's what, a feeling. That's what, 100%. Everyone is chasing a feeling at the end of the day. Regardless of what it is you're after, regardless of what your goals are, everyone is just chasing a feeling. But what we don't realize is that the feeling that we're chasing that on some level we think is out there, it's already here. It's already available to us in this moment. We just have to figure out what is blocking me from experiencing it. Because whenever we say that our happiness or our fulfillment or our peace or our joy is somewhere out there in the future, what do we inevitably end up doing? We end up creating a timeline. Yeah. I need to be someone else. I need to be someone better in an attempt to accomplish this goal or that not that goals are inherently bad. It's just important to recognize what's the unconscious motivation driving you to reach those goals. Mm. We end up creating a timeline if we assume that our happiness, our joy, our peace, our fulfillment is somewhere out there in the future. And when we do that, we invite in suffering because what we're saying is that I am not capable of feeling joy, peace, and fulfillment in this present moment. I'm not good enough as I am in this present moment. I need to be someone better. I need to be somewhere else if I'm going to feel or be complete. Mm. And I think this is why mental illness especially amongst men. I think men are three times more likely to commit suicide than any other demographic. This is why so many men are struggling with mental health, are prone to depression, anxiety, suicide, above any other demographic of person in the United States. We're constantly chasing rainbows. And what we don't realize is that most of the time, you know, I've been full-time coaching for half a decade now, and it, it never fails that whenever someone comes to me to help them reach their goals, we always have to start with the question, well, what's blocking you or preventing you from reaching those goals on your own? Otherwise, you wouldn't, you, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so we have to we have to determine, right? What have you been doing with your pain? Would you say that? Because I guarantee. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. Would you say that's the most common issue? Is somebody's pain that's blocking them? Hundred percent. Yep. Because it's it's pain, and the experiences, the painful experiences that we have had, that influence and create and shape our identity and our belief system, which then creates the internal resistance that we experience that prevents us from ascending into higher levels of our potential. So how does that show up for somebody then? Can you like, can we, cause if somebody's maybe thinking this, that they have this, yep. but then 
they don't know. So what kind of things show up as blocks? Like, is it procrastination? Is it like, like, what does that look like for people that are, when you know, when you dissect it, is it, yep. what are the things that they're doing that show you that? Coping mechanisms are a so great co- way. Yeah. Coping mechanisms. But ultimately, why? What we're, I mean, we're asking ourselves the wrong question if we ask why the coping mechanism. Because a coping mechanism, by definition, is an avoidant strategy. Right. The, the question that we need to be asking ourselves is why the pain? Mm-hmm. Why the pain? So, yeah, coping strategies, I think we can, you know, knock the, the top three that are the most easy to demonize or reject, right? Pornography, drugs, and alcohol right off the bat. And I think we can all agree on some level that, you know, those are unhealthy or ineffective, but the coping mechanisms that we really need to look out for are the noble coping mechanisms like work, for example, hidden behind the guise of being, having a strong work ethic, providing for the family, being driven and assertive, working out and obsessing over your fitness and your nutrition hidden behind the guise of being health conscious. Basically all of the loudest people on social media. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, bro. You're going to start to see this everywhere. This is, this is most people. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging these people. It's just an observation, right? Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of the people that you're talking about on social media, I coach those people. And what ends up happening when we're behind the scenes and right, the veil, the curtain is, is lifted. They all end up saying the same thing, despite the image and the success that they project on social media. It's almost always, I am fundamentally unhappy and I don't know why. Or I'm anxious, I'm stressed, and I don't know why. I can't be with myself. I struggle to slow down, and I don't know why. Mm. It's almost always the exact same thing. Yeah. If somebody's out there right now, and they're they're wanting to learn how to let love in, Mm. sounds simple. But it's not always right. It's a like, how does somebody let love in if they may think that they don't, they aren't allowing it in? You know, what can somebody do? Maybe like three things or one to three things that can be like a starting point at identifying it and maybe taking some action. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts by answering the question that I presented earlier, which is what have you been doing with your pain? Right. So identifying. Right. Correct. Identifying your blocks, but more importantly, where do those come from? What experiences are they attached to? Obviously there's many different modalities that you can use to create awareness. Awareness is always the first step in, in change or in transformation. It's becoming aware of what is stopping me, what is blocking me, or what is holding me back from getting to the next level 
there's nothing inherently wrong with the next level. Like I mentioned earlier, it's really just about what is driving me. What is the fuel for getting there? Right. Is it to like run away from this pain? Am I using getting to the next level as an avoidance strategy to not have to deal with this insecurity and by virtue trying to get to the next level is just an overcompensation or is it that I really truly like desire deeply that thing because I'm pursuing purpose or meaning or being in contribution or of higher service to other people. But it all starts with awareness. What is blocking me? What is stopping me from reaching that next level? So once we identify what those blocks are, we have to ask ourselves, okay, where did those come from? What created them? You weren't born with them, right? So we all we all come into this world with, with a clean slate. And so we have to determine where those blocks came from, what experiences created them, and then what beliefs did those experiences create and how are they showing up here in this present moment? I, I recently saw a very prominent influencer on social media, this gentleman who's very prominent in the world of, of men's work and supporting men in, in becoming a, a more idealized version of themselves. And he acknowledged, he openly acknowledged on social media that he had been struggling with alcoholism for the past eight months, you might know who I'm talking about. Yeah, you I might've seen this. Yeah. You might've seen this post. He's coming on the, he's coming on the pod. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I would love to talk to him Yeah, because I'm telling you right now, reaching, reaching or striving for an ideal sets you up for a life of performance. Mm. And when you do that, you need to have a coping mechanism in order to take the edge off, in order to relieve the pressure that that creates, he had to turn to alcohol. Him turning to alcohol is as natural as the seasons changing and shifting. I'm not condoning alcoholism. I'm certainly not condoning being out of integrity with your core values. I'm not condoning any of the things that he talked about that ultimately, you know, kind of caused his life to fall apart, right? Those are natural consequences that, you know, he's ultimately going to have to deal with and work through. So I'm not inherently condoning any of those things, but him turning to alcohol is a natural response to the pressure cooker that so many men put themselves in when they are constantly reaching for or chasing after a more idealized version of themselves, because what is it having them do? What's driving that pursuit of a more idealized version of themselves? It's to escape from or move away from pain or these less than idealized ver qualities or characteristics about themselves. So it creates a shadow. Yeah. Right. And, and until that shadow is integrated, you're going to need a coping mechanism to deal with the anxiety and the stress and the depression that it creates. So him turning to alcohol, completely natural, completely normal. He basically had no other choice. It was so great to see someone like that share that because, again, this goes back to what we were saying. 
you know, on the outside, you see someone like that amazing podcast, just like some of the best, most inspiring people out there. And, you know, for him to share that was like, it's so important. It's so important that so people important. are willing to to do that because that is what's needed because we're all flawed. That's the truth. Like we all going through this <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. That's it comes the truth. Back. Yeah. It comes yeah, right? it, it it's like we see this this image and you know everybody's got it all figured out. This guy's got it all figured out. That girl's got it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. It's like that's no. the humanness of the experience which I love. It's like Hey, that guy's just like me. I'm just like him. Oh, I'm not alone here. Wow. That's awesome. You know? Correct. It is the need to continually prop up and further reinforce our admired identity that creates the need for a coping mechanism. Because like I mentioned, we inherently put ourselves inside of a pressure cooker when we do that because we constantly need to do what keep up appearances right <laughs> and we constantly need to act as if i have it all together i'm successful i'm fine i'm good i got this but what does time prove again and again and again these people who are constantly showing up on social media like with authority and again this is not a judgment. This is more so just an observation yeah. of, of what I see as a consistent pattern where however consciously or unconsciously this is occurring, because I get for so many people, they're doing this without even realizing it. I think this is like a normal response to pain, right? In the first half of life, it's all about achievement, success, admiration, image, persona, status, reputation, all of all of those things. It's all about what do I want, right? And, and propping oneself up. In the second half of life, we die to all of that. We die to all of it. And you and I talked a little bit about this on our last podcast. What do we have to do to cross that bridge to get there? Necessary suffering. At least that's what Carl Jung positions. Right. We have to be led to the edge of our private mental resources, and we kind of have to have everything fall apart. Yeah. Otherwise, we would we otherwise we would never make the journey. Right, we would never cross over. We would kind of stay trapped in our illusions and in our pursuit of more and success and image, status, and reputation, and all these things. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Because when we're young kids, we kind of have to know that on some level that like I've got what it takes, right? To develop some confidence and be able to go out in the world and make something of ourselves and succeed. But if, but most men are stuck in that phase. Most people are stuck in that phase where they're still trying to on some level prove themselves, whether it's to themselves or whether it's to, to somebody else. And that creates this immense pressure cooker. And so men end up feeling incredibly anxious and stressed and overwhelmed because they're rejecting these less than ideal qualities about themselves while constantly needing to prop up and, and further reinforce this admired identity that has the need to turn to a coping mechanism. 
That's why I say this guy needed to drink. Do you think there's any way that we can get past the coping mechanisms? Like, is that any way or is it just changing one for another? Like, is there, is there a way that we can just, <laughs> you know, cause I feel like everyone's yeah. got their thing, but is yep. in such a society where we consume so much and we're distracted, like, yep. you know, what does that look like? As far as like, are we ever going to not have coping mechanisms? Well, I think that's, I think that's why we have such a need for spirituality. Mm. We have to have this deeper source uh, yeah. for living. Yeah. We have to. Otherwise, everything else, success, money, is inevitably going to end up disappointing us on some level. If we're constantly putting our worth in our partner or in in money, we're inevitably going to end up being disappointed. And we're going to be left feeling empty and wanting. The next level only makes you want the next level. So we have to find a deeper source for, for living, a deeper meaning for existing, for being. The Japanese call this your, your ikigai, your reason for being, also known as your purpose or your divine purpose. Like I talked about at the very beginning, your, your calling, your curse, the thing that you can't not do. It's the song that only you can play. So I think, you know, spirituality, I think purpose provides us with this deeper, deeper reason for being, for living that allows us to break free from this incessant desire for more or the next level. More is just a trap. Mm. And then like, it's not my opinion. Like there's actually a ton of science that goes into this. That's called hedonic adaptation, which means that no matter what level of success we experience or what level of trial and tribulation we experience, ultimately we will end up returning to the same baseline level of happiness. Isn't that the truth? So, right. So we have to find this, this deeper reason for being and living. And I think the only thing that can do that is spirituality and a, a deeper, more fulfilling purpose where it, it becomes not about us. It becomes about something way bigger than us. And that's why so much of what I do with in my work with men is around rites of passage. Because in initiation, which is lost in, in Western culture in many ways. Oh yeah, big time. There are there are five tenets. Life is hard. Life is not about you. You are not in control. You are not that important. And you will die. Paradoxically, the more you embrace those things, the easier life becomes. Because you're no longer focused on yourself. You're no longer focused on this personal salvation project or this heroic project. As Richard Rohr once said, until you let go of your personal salvation project or the pursuit of your own private perfection, you will not 
be able to be full used by God. There's something that just came to mind that I want to ask you. Sometimes these like things just pop in and I, I just, yeah. I feel like, so, you know, when you hear about law of attraction and things should be easy, life should be easy, flow, all of that. Now I've made sense of it on what it means to what you're saying. I'm curious to hear mm-hmm. how does somebody like, because those can be conflicting with, for people, because one minute someone's saying life should be easy flow. You're just choosing the wrong thoughts, blah, blah, blah. And the others are saying it's easier when things are challenging and hard. How do you make sense of that for the people that are confused on how to get into that place where like you can still, you know, attract things into your life and still create what it is you want to create. But like, walk us through that. I'm just curious. I know it's kind of off topic, not off topic, but like a little bit different. It's just, I talk about both of these sides, both of these things. And it's interesting because I know that a lot of, I know I have these questions. So I'm always curious to see what your perspective is. And I ask people this once in a while. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I think dualistic thinking can be a trap either or thinking is can very much be a trap part of elevating into consciousness and just maturing as a human being is is breaking free from that that law and order phase and embracing non-dualistic thinking which is both and thinking right Yes, I agree that there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness or or joy or or fulfillment. But without trial and tribulation, we would never be able to fully appreciate it. Boom. I think most of our I think most of us approach our mountains. And I'm simply using mountains as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. We approach our mountains as a war to be won or a battle to overcome. Our mountains aren't meant to be moved. Our mountains are meant to mold us and shape us and refine us. Right? In our attempt to achieve some type of ideal, in our pursuit of like this heroic project, whatever that is for you, the the temptation is to approach our mountains as something that need fixing, changing, or solving. But that was never the point. That just further props up the ego. See, I did it. I conquered the mountain. It's, It's all about building up the self, the false self, the admired identity. When really our our mountains are meant to mold us, shape us, refine us. They're not meant to be solved for or overcome. They're simply meant to be endured. And so I think as we grow older and mature, we can we can sit in the space, we can sit in the tension that these contradictions seemingly provide us. Right. Because that's basically what you presented at the beginning, yeah. right? Was like this paradox, this yeah. 
right? This seeming con- this contradiction, contradictions by virtue can't be solved for. They can only be felt, held, and experienced. That's it. In our egocentricity, of course, we want to we want answers. We want to solve for these things. Right? We want to fix them, change them, whatever whatever these dilemmas are or these contradictions. But that's not what leads us to wisdom. What leads us to wisdom is is sitting in the, the tension of these contradictions and allowing that tension to help us burn through our psychological coping mechanisms that separate us from our true essence and that cause us to continue to perform. Well said. (laughs) Very wise. Well said, brother. So so we're kind of winding down here and, you know, obviously this book is powerful. It's going to be powerful. Is there anything in there that I know we kind of talked about different things. Is there anything in there that you'd like to talk about or share with the audience to give them a little bit more into that, that we haven't covered or is it generally, you know, your story and you're, you know, kind of leave people on the edge of their seats. Like, I just don't want to miss out on that. If there's any points that you'd like to, you know, maybe, touch on before we look at wrapping up yeah absolutely i don't know if i ever posed this question in the book but i think it would be i i certainly think it would be a valuable one to contemplate and chew on and consider and it's this if my greatest strength is a compensating strategy what is my greatest strength for i think for most people oftentimes our greatest strength is simply an adaptation or an overcompensation to avoid dealing with pain. And that is fundamentally in many ways, what this book is about. It is undoing the adaptive strategies, the compensating strategies that I unconsciously took on in an attempt to outrun the pain that my sexual abuse caused that only had me performing and experiencing the weight of that performance that left me anxious, stressed, overwhelmed because I was constantly running from connection and chasing the next achievement. So to answer the question that you posed earlier, like how do we ultimately solve for this? I would like to think that it's ultimately through connection. The more connection increases, right? If trauma is just separation or a break, a fundamental break in connection or a violation of the connection that we have to ourselves and other people, if we look at it in that way, Mm. then I think what could be the answer is that the more connection increases and the safer that we feel to go deeper into connection, the less we need coping strategies to avoid. Yeah. Connection. It's a disconnection. When we feel connected, the less we need anything else things to take us out of that, right. That that discomfort. 
Exactly. Oh man, always a powerful conversation with you, dude. <laughs> you got a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom. I really, I, I really appreciate it, man. So it's your Thank books you. available now. Let love in the pain stops when the truth starts. It's available now on Amazon. Give us the little bit of, give us the spiel and then people can walk away and go grab it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so what is today? April 5th, I believe. So it's, the book is currently on sale. The ebook, the digital version of the book is available for sale on Amazon for 99 cents for the next two and a half weeks until Monday, April 24th. So considering it's less than a cup of coffee, I would like to think that it's a steal. On April 24th, the, the price will go up for the Kindle version, for the ebook version, and you'll also be able to buy a physical copy on Amazon as well. But you know, we'll provide you with a link so that you can put it in the show notes for people to be able to purchase. You can do so on Amazon. You can also do through my website, which is jacobkaufman.com. So go grab it, buy it for yourself, share with a friend, less than a, less than a latte at Starbucks. I love that. You could buy like, <laughs> you could buy like seven books, give them to your friends, go without a latte Absolutely. for once you guys buy yourself seven <laughs> of them. Now the price is a latte. You so, and your Instagram, I am Jake Kaufman. I-A-M-J-A-K-E-K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Go follow him on Instagram. And uh, dude, I'm I'm excited for you. Good luck with the with the book. I know it's a journey. And thanks Lance, for coming on again, bro. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. This has been powerful. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to go grab Jake's new book, Let Love In. The pain stops when the truth starts and support him, support his work. He's a good guy doing great work. He's helping men heal so they can thrive in all areas of their life. He's a spiritual guide, life coach. And if you have somebody out there who has been through similar things, maybe you can grab a coffee for them. If you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do so wherever you're listening to this. We're also available on YouTube. And most of all, I love you guys. We'll catch you next time.